This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. You know, it's really going to be a fun service today. As we look at, like, how do we, how do we sort of pull all this together? This idea of rolling up our sleeves and, and, and how we can move beyond complaint. Because that's sort of the last part, believe it or not. I think one of the last key parts of this whole concept of repentance, of changing our mind, is actually working on not complaining, working on not scapegoating, working at seeing the world a little differently. Now, again, this has been a three-part series, wonderful three-part series. And we've looked at it in terms of three different sections. Our system, our sin, I'm going to have you say the D word up top, and our devil. And these are, you know, these are, these are old kind of Christian words. And one of the problems is, is that for a lot of people, those words are really challenging. Like, how do we put our hands around that? And so I want to talk about that and talk about how these things work in language that maybe can, can make you realize, yeah, these, this actually has something to teach us, a lot to teach us. Because we all have our system our way of working the world, and, and oftentimes we have a blind spot in that system that gives rise to a certain thing, a certain bad thing happening that we, we tend to look the other way. Even something like concussions, right? I mean, for those of us who played football back in the... Uh, you know, were they worried about concussions back in the day? No, I, I can remember playing lacrosse, playing against Bucknell, getting totally destroyed, uh, big concussion. I'm looking around the field thinking like, this is like the Wizard of Oz. My bell was totally rung. Nobody said anything. I actually drove home. You know, crazy, but that was just, it was a blind spot back then. It's not something people thought about. It was just rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. And that can create certain things, sinful things in our society, things that break relationships with God, with other people. And we need to be able to really look at that. And today we're going to look at the very top. What's our devil? In other words, where do we scapegoat? Now, this is going to be a little bit of a roundabout way to get at it. So I like to say this. Sometimes sermons are direct routes. Sometimes we get to New Jersey, but we go to Ohio first. Anybody from Ohio in here? All right, if there is, we're going to your hometown. We're going to Ohio first, and then we're going to get to New Jersey so we can see how these things connect. Because this is the very essence of the problem, this next slide here. The challenge, we rarely see, see ourselves as fallen or as demonic. Like, and I don't want you to see yourself that way. Like, it's not good. It's not good to see yourself that way. We often, however, see others that way. And that may just be the best place for our ego to hide. So our ego gets caught up in putting it out there, putting the devil out there. It's not about calling ourselves demonic, that's for sure. But it's all too easy to put the devil out there. So instead of looking unflinchingly at our broken old will, our ego, we readily place blame somewhere else, creating a new devil, say the S word there, a new devil, a scapegoat. And there's a fascinating story behind what scapegoats meant. Now, I'm assuming everybody, we're all familiar with that term, right? We've heard the term scapegoating before, or somebody's a scapegoat. Did you know that's a biblical phrase? That goes back 4,000 years to this ancient, ancient, ancient tradition. And the tradition comes out of a really cool idea. And the idea was that once a year, look, we got to make it, we got to clean it all up once a year. And literally, we got to pack our sins, take a guess what animal, we got to pack our sins onto a goat and send the goat out and then, then we'll be able to get a fresh start. So it comes from a very good place. And I want to read you that story, and then we're going to start to connect these different pieces together. This is from Leviticus 16, 
10. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. So even, even some of the language we use, folks, like I've heard people say before, well, they're just the goat of this. Or that's, they're the goat. In other words, they're the one all the blame is being fixated on. And then what they would do, they would send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Now, this is how the process would actually take place. And you're going to see this picture, and then just listen to these words here. It talks about the priest is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. That would be a bad job if I was a goat. You shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry in itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. So it's a, it's a beautiful concept there of like, look, we're going we're gonna to gather all the sins, we're going to put it on this animal, and this animal, we're going to then send it off and away, and this will be a clean start. But the problem is, folks, is we've turned that scapegoating into something that actually is, is a little bit challenging and not very healthy. And it gets into complaining, and it gets into where all our problems are out there, to where we're no longer accountable in here. And that can be a problem. I love these words by Dwight Eisenhower. Look at this great quote. The search for a scapegoat is the easiest of all hunting expeditions. Is that good? Like, if you want to find a scapegoat, you can find them. Just turn on TV sometime. Like, you can find them. There's scapegoats galore. And I, I think about this, you know, as a, as a teacher, um, it's, it's always interesting, you know, as a teacher for a very long time. And, and uh, you know, I, I can remember, you know, when my kids come home, they come home today. And if they're ever having, and I love my kids, if they're ever having a problem in class, whose problem is it? The teacher, the teacher. And I'm like, you know, your dad was a teacher. Don't say that in front of me. And yet it's really hard. It's really easy to do that. And I know from being a teacher as well, you know, being a teacher, all of a sudden when I was having struggles in class, it wasn't because I was a bad teacher. What was my scapegoat? The students. It was you rotten teenagers. You were the problem. So we have this very, very common, and we can actually hold that a little lightly. Like, we scapegoat all the time. It's a very easy hunting expedition, and we do it constantly. So what I want to do is I want to hear now from you. I want you to name your favorite scapegoat. Like, who or what do you love to blame all problems on? All right? So please take 60 seconds. You can share that with the neighbor or you can text an answer into me. Who do you blame? Who do you, who do you tend to scapegoat all the time? Who's your favorite scapegoat? Please share that. It's, it's, we, you guys are pros at scapegoating. I just want to say. So I'm going to go take a look at these. So as, as the band comes out, you know, as the band comes out, start to think, yeah, I got this scapegoating thing. And then my phone is blowing up. This is unbelievable. Somebody, just so you know, somebody even blamed their cat. <laughs> yeah, that, so I want to, when we come back, I want to talk about like, well, yeah, what about this scapegoating? Like, these are kind of dirty waters to swim in. How do we swim in clean waters? 
How do we kind of shift it? How do we maybe get a paradigm for holding this so we can move beyond it into a place, again, of real accountability, of a life-giving accountability where we can find love, compassion, move beyond complaint. So these, these answers, these answers were, were just really, really good. Um, yeah, and, and a number of you, we, just so you know, we got the Republicans and the Democrats both covered. Uh, some other ones that were just, just really good. The most ridiculous one, of course, is looking skyward and blaming God. My boss not letting me do my job. My ex, my church organization. Student loans, that's a good one. Um... The world today, the human condition, the puppy. I know what that's like when you got a puppy and blame everything on the puppy. It's very convenient when you're the husband. Uh, depression, uh, the political candidates this year, the referee said like a true Pittsburgher. Um, Washington, D.C., this is a big one. This is a big one for a lot of us to listen to. Myself, you know, scapegoating myself. That's a very good one. Uh, almost always the poor choices I believe I made in the past, even the distant past. Yeah, we can scapegoat our past. That's a really good, that's a sermon in and of itself. Uh, for a long time, it was God. Um, the, you know, we got the liberals, we got the conservatives, the corp, in corporate America, this one person said, it's always they. Uh, the government, Chip Kelly, uh, Ignorance, the person that doesn't understand my point of view, my mother, my spouse, a bunch of them had spouses in here. Um, you know, money, economics, all that stuff. And those are, those are really good folks. It's important for us to just say, yeah, those are our scapegoats. And they're very convenient. It's, it's, easy, it's easy hunting, so to speak. Because remember the system. We said that there's a system down underneath and that creates sin and then you have the devil on top. One of the problems is, is that we're already sort of blind to what we're doing. And then we have a scapegoat, which I'll talk about in a minute, that allows us to be blind sort of from both ends of it. Blind from the system we've created that we live in and blind from the top where we don't even see it from the top. Now, how, do, how would I mean that? Like, what would that mean? Well, I want to share something with you from Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the context for this is, is Christ had, had just been baptized, and then all of a sudden, like, here's the big trick. You know, can, can he actually stand up to temptation? Beautiful part of the Bible where he goes, he's tempted for 40 days, 40 nights. Beautiful story in there about how he overcomes a lot of the challenges of life. Power, prestige, and possessions. That's what he's overcoming there. And it's interesting, like when you look at this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now it's easy, again, like when we think of the devil, when we, when we like visualize the devil, how do we see the devil? Could somebody just shout out some things? How do we literally see? Like when a kid is dressed up like the devil, how do they look? They have, they have horns, the red, they got the pitchfork, and somebody said it, tail, they got the tail. Now that's not what that word actually means fascinating what this word devil actually means. Let's take a look at what the word means. Oh, shouldn't be spirit, should be devil there. The devil is a false accuser, a slanderer. A false accuser, a slanderer. Now that's a very, very different view of the word, right? So the devil is that voice in our head that's constantly slandering and accusing other people. 
And as somebody says, if it's accusing other people, it's also going to be accusing, yeah, you. Accusing God, accusing the whole thing. And that's where, you know, again, like, like that devil part can be a real challenge for us because that's the connection to the scapegoat. That chattering voice loves to have a scapegoat. It loves to have that thing that it can, that it can fixate all its voices on. You know, and, and, and that's where folks, like we've all been part of this, right? Where, where uh, you know, I think of with athletics or at a dinner or something, you know, and all of a sudden, like it's a little awkward. And, and so somebody can say a word, maybe a T word, I don't know. And, and, and you know, could say a word and all of a sudden everybody starts to complain about that thing. And it sort of can pull the whole group together around that. And that's kind of dangerous to do. Because we can, we can get into kind of this group think about something where we really focus all our energy, all our angst, all our anxiety, all our fears, everything. And do you see where we're now double blind? The system has us blind that we've created, that we're living in, because we create our system so that we win. And, and the top of the pie, too, has us blind because we're not really looking to be accountable. We're looking to pass the buck. I think, folks, this is why, I think this is why complaining can be so hard in the spiritual journey. And, and we all do, folks. Like, we all complain all the time. And yet that blame game can really become sort of a spiritual weight on us. So, so here, here'd be an example. So, I, you know, I'm walking today, as I always do. I go on these walks before church, like, Lord, please deliver me from, from a bad sermon today. And, and uh, you know, I go on these walks really trying to clear my head, clear my head, clear my head, clear my head as best I can. How can I clear my head? And the challenge is, as I go through and I, I work to clear my head, you know, inevitably little problems start to pop up. And that starts to fill my attentiveness. And then I start to complain. You know, why me? Why this? Why that? Blah, 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 blah. See, the, the challenge is, folks, is that if I live in complaint and my brain is there, I don't have space for anything else. And my brain even tricks me. I don't know if you do this. Like some of the time I'll think, well, if I'm not thinking about problems, what the heck will I have to think about? Which is nuts. Because you know what else I have to think about if I'm not complaining? Somebody want to shout something out? Blessings. Blessings. <laughs> You're ruining the end of the sermon. <laughs> blessings. It is. You guys will laugh when you see the end of the sermon. <laughs> That's where we're going. You know, like blessings. Gratitude. The beautiful day, the flowers, the wonderful person who's going to be speaking at the end of church today. Like, I can think about all these things, but I choose not to. I choose to think about my problems. And as somebody said, most of my scapegoating is back this past stuff. I'm having arguments with my past, arguments with the future. Who, what good does arguing with the past and the future do? I've yet to solve it. I've yet to have the past or the future go, Chuck, you're right. It's not how it's going to work. So we really need to think about that. Like, like we have to, I mean, that's so much, I think, when, when we look at repentance and repentance for, for sin and all that, it's about getting the bad cholesterol out of the way. That's why it's a first part of repentance. It's like really looking at this stuff and pushing it out of the way so that the good stuff can actually get in. That's what's really key. Because think, folks, we have the system, the sin, 
and the devil. Could we say those three together? The system, the sin, and the devil. Now, it's easy just to look at that and to think like, oh, that's highfalutin. But, but that, that paradigm has incredibly important implications. Let's trace it through with something really serious here. If we look at the way terrorism has functioned, see if the picture's gonna come up. The way terrorism has functioned, right? This, these were those bombers in Belgium. So, so one of the things that's always fascinated me is like, how do people end up, you know, like these are human beings. How do they end up in that place where they can do those things? So, so that's a system. You get raised in a system you get raised in a, in a neighborhood, you know, like there's, there's lots of, it's not, Muslims are not, it's not a religion of violence. Some people have radicalized it and made it that way, but I really believe that's a very small slice. But if you're raised in that very small slice, it creates a system where all of a sudden violence is, is celebrated. Martyrdom is celebrated. So that it creates, quote, the sin. It creates the bombing, it creates the this, it creates the that. And then at the very top lies the devil, which is where everyone can focus all their energy up to that point. Like, there's the scapegoat. Folks, we all saw World War II. The Germans did it. They blamed the Jews. And, and Americans, can, we can do the same thing. See, it's, it's interesting to me, like, when you look at, at countries like, uh, like Iran, where America's called the great Satan. Like, it's the great scapegoat. These are areas where we need to be so careful, so careful. Now, now what I want to do is I want to, I want to try to do something here, and this is very delicate. I want to say it delicately, and, and I realize that it's open for interpretation. You may have a very different perspective on this, and we just, we just always need to be careful. And I'm going to try to be really careful with language. I think one of the challenging parts, right, is, is we can look at this, and we can look at these tears, right? The system, the sin, the devil. We can look at that, and we can look at, okay, here's these terrorists. This happens, this happens, this happens. We can build it right up. We can see it. We can see it in our own life. One of the challenges is, folks, if we could just hold the picture there for a second. The, the trick is, with that picture... The answer doesn't lie, and this is like, I just want to be careful with this. The answer doesn't lie in making those three men the scapegoats either. I don't think that's where the answer lies. I think the answer is much more complicated. We don't have time to get into it today. I think, I think the answer is much harder than that. I think we, we can see these systems and we can see scapegoating going on. But like with anything in life, it's so much easier to put it out there and to see where someone else is doing it than to see where we're doing it. And to really try to look at that candidly, I think is really important. Because these are the hard questions. And if you have a camera, I would take a picture of these. I think these are really important to ask. And this is, this is like, this is going to someplace good. So I don't want you to feel like, well, that's a downer. It is a bit of a downer, but it's also reality and, and it's something that I think we need, we need to look at. Um, folks, like this is, I, I just, I think with my own kids, like I don't want my kids living life thinking that complaining and scapegoating is going to move them anywhere. I don't think I'm actually serving them doing that. And so it's hard to have these conversations, but I think we need to have these conversations. So we need, I'm going to have you say the S word there. We need to ask first, what aren't we what aren't we seeing? 
what am I blind to right now? Just not quite seeing it. Number two, what are we doing or not doing as a result of that blindness? So you have the blindness. What am I doing or not doing? The the sin of omission or the sin of commission? What am I doing or not doing because I'm blind? And the last one, who are we who are we blaming? Now, the crazy part, folks, is that you can actually trace it down. So we have the system, the sin, the devil. If you look at what you're scapegoating, a great conversation to have is, okay, so how does that feed down? How does that feed down into a, to a sin per se, something that's breaking relationship? And how does that feed into my system, my racket for how the world works? So it both works up and works down. There is, there is nothing easy about this. You know, I, I think folks, you know, at New Church Live, we're just, we're at that, that, that um, we're at a very pregnant time as a church, right? Kind of betwixt in between, between being a small to medium church and being a large church. Some weeks we have large audience, some weeks we have smaller audience, but the, the trend is clearly up. And how do we manage that? So, so you know, I've been talking to, to other pastors about this and it's really humbling, <laughs> really humbling to talk to other people. I mean, ask your spouse, ask your spouse, I'll give you a nickel if you do. Ask your spouse, honey, what am I not seeing? Honey, what am I missing? Actually, I'll I'll give you a dollar if you ask your spouse that. That's a toughie. Like who wants wants that? (laughs) And yet, you know what? Is that the right kind of thing to ask? Yes or no? Yeah. Is your relationship going to be healthier if you ask that? Yeah. And, and, you know, with all the anxiety played up, like, honey, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Just imagine your spouse asking you that. Imagine if you've got anywhere, you have a strained relationship, and that person you have a strained relationship comes to you totally humble, going like, look, I feel like I'm not seeing something. What am I not seeing? Could you help me see it? After your jaw hits the floor, Imagine the conversation you can have. See, because I think where we're going with this, folks, where the answer really lies is this. What we're trying to learn is how to, please say this really loud, how to, how to be accountable. And it's not like a drudgery. It's not a martyrdom, like, fine, I'll vacuum again. It's not that. It's a different kind. It's a life-giving accountability. And accountability where we go, yep, I'll, I'll, I'll take that on. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to work. I'm willing to, to not be, like, I'm willing to see where, where maybe I'm blind or maybe, my, maybe there's parts of our culture that are blind and I'm willing to actually step in and do something there. And boy, it's empowering when you hear that. And guess what? I want you to hear it. I want you to hear a story of a tremendous young man who did just that. With that, I give you Matt Oner. Middle circle. Hi, thanks. I am uh, Matt Odner, as Chuck said. I was in here a couple weeks ago to talk about an event I was taking part in with the Covenant House of Pennsylvania. They uh, combat youth homelessness in the area, and I was raising money and awareness about it through an event called a uh, sleep out, where I slept out at their, in their parking lot with other people in a uh, cardboard box, a little bigger than that one, and a sleeping bag. 
Um, so I just wanted to come in and say thanks for all the support I got from New Church Live and talk a little bit about the event. Um, I think I can say pretty safely for my wife who's sitting down here um, and I that it just exceeded all expectations. Uh, we got to meet the kids and hear their stories. It was really, really incredible. And as an aside, for those that don't know Carrie or uh, can't see her, she's very pregnant and was then. So they asked her not to sleep out, but it was funny beforehand. Everyone was getting worried. They're like, I think she's going to do it. Um, but she didn't, uh, and they were all relieved when she went home. But um, anyway, so one story was a kid named Michael. Michael was from D.C., and which was unusual. Most are from this area. And his dad wasn't in the picture, and his mom was really abusive and uh, had put him in a situation where he was going to be killed by some people in the neighborhood. And this is kind of one of those neighborhoods, it sounded like, where it was probably actually true, um, that he was probably going to be killed. So he fled and somehow found the Covenant House of Pennsylvania. And to hear where he was now was pretty crazy. I mean, here was a kid who was really on a bad path, um, grew up in dysfunction, whose parents had probably grown up in dysfunction, and their parents had grown up in dysfunction. And now with him, he was not only in school and on his way to a job, but emotionally, you know, it's just like a mature person. Like, he was vulnerable about his problems, telling us, you know, everyone has issues, but for him to sit there and be honest about them was pretty incredible. Um, and to think about the, gen the change that makes with the generations below him and the, you know, the effect he'll have on people and his, those people will have on people. It's really staggering when you, the more you think about it, the more it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, and then just to relate that to accountability, I just wanted to say for me, accountability is really just acting on those things I think that God put on your heart. Um, it can be anything. You know, for me, it, you know, what pulls on my heartstrings a lot of times is things like this, but less maybe important things like dogs, suffering dogs on the internet really get me going. I don't know why. Um, but I think that's a sign that God did his part. He put it on my heart. So now it's up to me to break down that barrier. It's always hard. I don't know why. It's always hard to do that final action. But to me, that it's just about finally doing that. And uh, there's oftentimes like this scenario, a lot of reward when you do it. So again, I just wanted to say thanks. Uh, I got a lot of support uh, from everyone here. And I'll be around after and love to talk about Covenant House if anyone has any interest. Thanks a lot. So, you know, you hear from Matt, and, like, that's, that's sort of the, the flip of the scapegoating mentality. You know, it's, it's kind of where, where we take that thing of the system, sin, and the devil, and, and we actually kind of flip it. Now, now, there's some parts to this, I think, that are, like, important theologically. I just want to throw them out there. One is, you know, when, we, when Matt does his thing, um, it's interesting how it flips the perspective from salvation just being a pure private game. To salvation being, yes, this private game still, but then more importantly, there's also this, this corporate part of it. This, this, uh, this part of it where, where we're all connected. This part of it where we're actually doing the things that, that, that we're called to do. As Matt said, you know, those parts that are put on our heart. And that's so, so, so important. And what happens is that all of a sudden this shift happens from the system the sin devil, all of a sudden we start seeing a very different system in place. It's this. Let's read it from the top down together. Ready? Our angel, our blessing, our system. So now instead of building up to a scapegoat, we come up top to our angel. We come up top 
to the better angels of our nature. Remember last week, folks, when we looked at what your best intentions were? Remember that? Those are the better angels of your nature. We're going to be calling those angels at the end of the service with a beautiful song. When, when, when we come from that place, connect in there. It's no longer about scapegoating. It's about what can I do? How can I show up in this? And the way we show up, and this is where somebody predicted it, we show up as a blessing. No longer sin, but now as a blessing. And then that blessing can start to build a system. I think, folks, this is so much the way that, that, that God has us doing it. And it's, it's, it's so important for us to look at where we're scapegoating. I, I don't care where it is, but, but really take time to look at that and, and see how that might be impacting your life and, and creating a system that, that just isn't healthy. And don't view that as sort of like, you know, a big, heavy burden. I don't think it's not a burden. It's not a burden. It's freedom. The whole point of repentance, the whole point of rolling up your sleeves is not guilt, it's freedom. Because then when we start to come from this point, we can start to love. We can start to change the world. No one has ever changed the world yelling at the TV. Ever. But they have by doing this in some small way. And that's where repentance can really start to become this life-giving force. So to, to, to close this series, like really folks think about what repents. Think about what a change of mind can be in your life. Think about what it would look to swim in cleaner waters not filled with complaint and scapegoating, but, but, but that are filled with things like this. Think of what that means, not just to you, but to the world. And I think what you'll start to sense is how you start to come alive in those moments. Now, I want to, you know, give an announcement here at the end of church because these, this service is kind of connected to next week's, even though this is the end of the series. Next week, we have our, our annual family and addiction service. That's going to be a wonderful service. We have some guest speakers coming. Uh, we have incredible music. Uh, we're going to have a lunch afterwards. And, and what it's about, it's about supporting families and addicts, about supporting addicts and the families who love them. So I just want to make sure that you feel warmly invited to that because there's a way somehow I feel like with this that we can become more of that. Whereas a congregation, we can join into just being a part of healing into this world. So that's the close of our series. To close this, what we're going to do is I'm going to invite Matt and his wife, Harry, up to say the last prayer. Then we're going to do a last song, a beautiful song called Calling All Angels. There, I gave you the chorus, so you're welcome to sing along with them. And that'll be at closing our service on rolling up your sleeves. So do you want to come on up? So please join me in prayer. Let's give Matt one more round of applause for coming in. Turn around this way. Oh. <laughs> Please join us in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your willingness, Lord, to help us with this gift. Not the gift of guilt, 
because that's not a gift, but the gift, Lord, of repentance. The gift of being able to change our mind, the gift of being able to turn around, the gift of being able to see those areas in our lives where we are stuck, where complaint reigns. Finding those areas, Lord, and instead living a new way, flipping the script, coming more and more into the lives that you intend for us, Lord, allow us to live there. And as we offer a prayer, Lord, allow us to be in that place of wonder, that place, Lord, of sensing the incredible potential as we change our minds, as we turn around, as we stop scapegoating and become more and more the empowered angels into this world. In your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.